Pastor Mark did another wonderful job on our staging. Just, just so that you'll, you'll know about it, yeah. We, we have represented in, in these trees, there are rings of growth in each of them. And as I was looking at them, not only do they represent the life of Grace Assembly and, and the rings of growth that have taken place in that, but also I believe that they are wonderful representative of our congregation because there are different ones of us in different stages of development. And, and uh, Mark and I were fighting over which one of us is the biggest log in the, in the stack today, uh, probably along with all of the rest of you as well. But uh, I love the fact that we have a church that's made up not only in generationally but also of different spiritual chronologies that take place within our lives. Some of you are just starting out in your walk with the Lord and, and there are others that uh, represent years and uh, as we were talking about there's all kind of stories that could come out of that and uh, we're excited to be able to to share this. I feel like it's Christmas morning today. Uh, this is one of those days that I have been anticipating and waiting for for months as we have gotten here and I want to share my heart with you today as it relates to you were created for significance. You were created for significance. Uh, every one of you should have a booklet this morning. There was one in your seat and if you don't have it you're sitting on it so turn around and, and grab it because it was there. And I want you to, to just take a look at it for a moment. We're going to look at this together because I don't want you looking at it when I'm trying to speak in a few minutes. So, so I figured I'll just give you an opportunity to do that right now. Uh, a little bit of uh, who we are, a, a letter from me. And there's this page that has some statistics on it that um, for those of you that are, that are interested in numbers and things of that nature, I want you to take a look at our churches growing and the average weekly attendance. And you can see uh, what is happening here and what's going to happen as we continue on a multiplication with God's hand that is going to put the hurt on us here. If we don't do something, and rather quickly, uh, we will be limited by, uh, in our influence by the space that we have. I want you to take a look at that. And then the next page, it gives you a sneak peek of what the new building's footprint is going to look like. Do you see the parking lot? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's parking. <laughs> uh, you'll also notice that the land extends beyond the parking lot so that we will have other opportunities in the future as, as we need to continue to grow. And uh, I'm looking forward to sharing more details of that with you. Um, as you. As you move a little bit farther back to page 15, um, there is in this an outline for all five of the messages, or at least a, a theme point of all five of the messages that are going to be a part of a glorious future. And I know that we have outlines for you in the bulletin, but what I'm going to ask you to do is take this book and keep it, put it in your Bible for those of you that are actually carrying a Bible with you, and I want you to bring this with you uh, every week that you come, and, and none of you are going to miss any of these. I'm going to ask you to, to be faithful to every week, but I want you to write your notes for the message in your book because what's going to happen is through the years, there's going to be different times in your life you're going to want to refer to some of the things that the Lord spoke to you about during this particular season in your life and the season in our church. And so I just want to make you aware that it's there and uh, that you can use that as we go through this. Uh, it is an exciting time for Grace Assembly, and I believe it's a time when God is going to begin to, to do some things that perhaps we had never even thought he could do. But today is the launch party of a glorious future 
generosity initiative. Our pastoral staff and our deacons and our church leaders have been looking forward to this day for several weeks now. We have been, a bunch of us have been working on this since last spring. And uh, when we started it, we thought the fall would never get here. And now that it's here, we know that this year, the rest of this year is going to fly by. Uh, And uh, it's an exciting time for us. We see, for those of you that have been with us a while, we started this year. Remember the very first week of January, we celebrated our 100th birthday. Can you believe it's been almost a year since we did that? And we celebrated thinking about the wonderful past that God had provided for our church. I think it's appropriate that before the year's over, we've moved from looking at a wonderful past to begin to discover what the glorious future is that God is leading us to. And there's a theme verse that many of you know. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. How many of you are glad God has plans for you? Some of you that were feeling this week like, you know, I I, I begin to wonder sometimes if God even knows who I am or where I am. I want you to know scripturally, he's got plans for you. He's declared it. And then he begins to add a little bit of depth to that when he says there are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. How many of you are glad that his plans are not to harm you? There's less hands for that than there was. I don't even know what to say. He does go on to say that he... He has plans to give you a hope, and then I took a little bit of editorial license, and I added the word glorious because God has glorious plans for you and for Grace Assembly. What we've discovered is that if we stand still, if we as a church decide that this is good enough and this is as good as it's going to get, we are going to lose sight of God because God is always moving forward. And we've determined that we're going to move forward with God as a church and build a new ministry headquarters on the 13 acres of land that we have purchased. A glorious future is an initiative to take God at his word and prepare the whole church to move forward in unity to grab hold of all of the plans that God has for us. And we recognize in doing this that it's going to take each of us to exercise our faith, to surrender our heart, to give our obedience, and to offer our sacrifice. But that as we do so, that as we move forward in unity, we are going to stay in connection with God's vision for our future. And when God is involved in something, I want you to know it's going to be great because God loves us. We are believing. We are believing God for all of the money that we need to do to build and do everything that he has called us to do and everything that he has planned for us. And so our goal is this. Together, over the next three years, we will sacrificially give together so that the church will be ready to move forward in the plan of God. What it will require is that every person is going to be asked to do your very best in giving from a heart sacrificially to see this God-sized goal and this God-sized dream fulfilled. And here's why I'm encouraged. God has been with us every step of this journey. As you begin to look at the growth chart of what has taken place within our church over the last few years, and you begin to look and see uh, where we are today and the things that have happened uh, even to this point in time, Uh, you begin to recognize that it wasn't by accident, but that God has been on the move and that there are things taking place that God is wanting to accomplish in us. When you begin to look at the average attendance of the things that have happened, I want you to recognize there's a correlation between our growth that is represented here and every step of faith that we have taken to get here. 
Some of you remember when it was a huge step of faith for us to just raise the money to change the downstairs into a, a children's ministries place. And, and we got to the end of that, and we were within the final week, and we were $15,000 short of what we needed to be able to pay for that. And, and I remember the board meeting when the board said, just ask one more time. And so we did. We said, Lord, we believe that you're leading us to do this. And there was a family that came up and said, we just want you to know we've always wanted to do something significant. And they gave us a check for over $26,000 from a place that we would never have expected it from. But God spoke to them and that launched us into what we're seeing today where we barely have the room to continue on. It was from there that we decided that we needed to redesign the sanctuary so that we could use it for the most, uh, as many ways as possible. Can you imagine what would happen if we were still sitting on those old pews? Number one, if you were moving back and forth, they moved with you, and we were always afraid that it was going to fall on your legs. And you, you, you come in here now, and during the week, we have to move these chairs all the time just to keep up with what's going on here. But it was through that initiative that God began to, to break down barriers, and new people have come a result of that. And so now we know that as God has led us and he's been faithful, we recognize that he's ready to lead us into something that is larger than we've ever done before so that he can do a great work. Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos likes to include in his executive meetings an empty chair at his table. And he tells his people, I want this empty chair to represent to you our customers, the people who deserve to be in this room but are not that we are speaking for. As I saw that, I think, how important is that for us as a church to recognize that in every decision that we make moving forward, we need to have the empty chair of the lost people in our community to represent. That we are not doing this for all the people that are sitting in these chairs. We're doing this for the people that are not here today, that are out in the world, that are absolutely hopeless without Jesus Christ. This isn't so that we can build ourselves up or, or make us to look like something we are not. We are just simply the hands of God extended, but we need to know there are people today that need Jesus Christ. And that is why they are a missing piece and an important piece of the decisions that we make. There are people in our community right now whose marriages need healing. There are people who need Jesus. There are drug addicts that need to be delivered. There are teenagers that need to be saved from suicide. Young families that need to be mentored. People that need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Broken people that need to be healed. Imagine the glorious future of the next person that gets saved in this building and imagine the glorious future of the first wave of people that will get saved when we enter into our new building. What a time of rejoicing at the power of God at work within people's lives. Hallelujah. So over the next five weeks, here's what I'm asking for you. I don't want you to miss a Sunday service. Change your vacation plans. Tell the neighbors that are coming over, you got to go to church with us. Whatever you've got planned, make sure that you keep God and his house in priority and that you are here for every one of them. I want you also to bring your booklet with you each and every week. By the way, it's scriptural for us to meet together. There's, there's a benefit to coming together and uh, encouraging one another as we see the day approaching. Also, for those of you that may not have been a part of any of the small group, the pie meetings, the, the pastor information exchange, we will be having a, a, another one for all of you who may not have had an opportunity yet on the 28th. Pastor Mark announced it. We will actually have pie at that meeting. Just want you to know that. We will actually have pie at that one. I want you to open up your hearts to what God is saying. 
November the 10th, the day before our commitment and celebration Sunday is a Saturday morning, and from 8 o'clock in the morning till noon, we're going to be opening up our church for prayer, and we want each of you to be a part of one hour. There's going to be some stations that will be taking place here, people that will guide us through the stations of prayer, but I want you to commit at least one hour that morning to coming to church and being a part of praying for the next day that will be an absolutely glorious celebration and commitment Sunday on November the 11th. Now, here's what you need to know. We're going to try to do something. We're having one service that day. The whole congregation, the first service, second service, we're all going to be together in one room. We'll blow out if we need to and add chairs for the second overflow. It's going to be hot and sweaty and exciting. (laughs) Hallelujah. That that didn't sound as holy as I intended it to. (laughs) We are going to have a day where we give God glory. It will be a day of response for each of us as we come forward and begin to see. And in that day, not only will you be turning in your commitments of what God is laying upon your heart, but we're going to be taking a first fruits offering, the first cash part of that offering. And I believe that we will be taking the single largest offering that has been taken in the history of Grace Assembly to date on that day on November the 11th. Grace Assembly, I am so excited because our time is now. The next few weeks will determine how much of an impact our church is going to have on our community in the future. And so together, let's move forward into God's glorious future. One of the things I love about our church is the opportunity that I've had in speaking with people to hear their stories. Over these next five weeks, in each week, we're going to be showing a video of an individual in our church and telling their story. And let me introduce this first one to you of Zena. My name is Zena Pirelli. Um, my daughter and I came to Grace about five years ago, and I am a sign language interpreter here. I do remember the first time we came to Grace. I'll never forget that night. We came for Wednesday night service, or Wednesday night Bible study and for youth group, Remnant. And she came out and I was like, and she goes, Mama, I found my people. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. I've been an interpreter for over 25 years. And I think it's really nice that my being here to interpret allows this deaf individual to go to the same church as her family does, which is really neat. And um, hopefully if more deaf people come, we'll be able to minister to more people. To me, church is community. Church is your family, your other family, and I really see that here at Grace. The heart of this church is to minister to the community, and that's obvious. And so to have a space that's even better suited to meet the needs of the the church and the community is just wonderful. I mean, there's just so much more to do, so many more people that that need what Grace has. For there to be a, a space, I mean, right now, every inch of the place is used constantly. It would be nice to have a little stretching room in the room so that we can really meet the needs of our community around us. Grace has been with my daughter and I through a lot of ups and downs. People being willing to pray for us, people being willing to support us in, in different situations that we've gone through. It's been, it's, been, it's been a safe place to just be able to share your burdens and your ups and downs and know that people are going to listen and they're going to love on you no matter what. Our family chooses to give to Grace because it's important 
to allow the church to grow from where it is. Not just physically in a building, but with the ministries that they do. And um, it is really important to be supporting where you're being fed. I consider Grace to be a good investment because they walk the walk and they do what they're supposed to be doing. It's not just an insular church where they just stay here and everybody go away. They reach out and they're constantly reaching out and they're, they're doing what Christ wants us to do, which is take care of the widows and the orphans, support our local schools, um, provide amazing vacation Bible school opportunities, provide amazing youth group opportunities, provide Bible studies, and just so much. They just touch so many different groups. And um, I think that's why it's really important to invest in Grace. It's important to encourage generosity in your family, whether it's your talents or your finances. Um, everybody has financial up and down, highs and lows. And I've been trying to explain to her that when she finally does get a paying job, which I hope will be soon, um, that she would learn from what we have done that tithing is important, that giving of your finances is important, that volunteering, giving of your time is very important. The idea of living generously is um, really important, especially as a believer. We know instinctively that this is not our home. We can gather and store and save and we know it's all for naught because we got another place to go where our treasures are. So the stuff that God has given us, if we can share it with others to benefit others, then I think that's what it's all about. He gives to us so that we can give out to others. It's really kind of funny. I leave my house on a Sunday or a Wednesday or every other day of the week when it's fine art season. Um, and I pull in here at Grace, and there's part of me that just goes, I'm home. I love that feeling. I just love that feeling. It's home. We've heard over and over again from different people that come through here that there's a, a sensation that they receive when they come here that they just feel loved and welcome and they feel at home. I love that the presence of the Lord working through you in such a way allows people when they come here to have just this sense of peace that settles over them. And I believe it's because each of you have been created to live a life of significance. I'm going to ask that you would just take your notebooks and I want you to share just a couple of things with you this morning and some of them I, you may want to just jot down to remind yourself as we go through this but the word significant means sufficiently great important worthy of attention noteworthy so when we recognize that you were created to live a life of significance what it means is that God has placed in you by virtue of him creating you an aspect that you are important and that you're worthy of attention and that you're created for something noteworthy. In those mornings when you get up and you feel as if nobody knows who you are and that there's nothing about you that is worthy, I want you to remember God created you for significance. It tells us in Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 18, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And then it says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. So when I awake, I am still with you. What I want you to notice out about, about this verse is this. It says that the thoughts that God has about you, not the thoughts that you have about God, but the thoughts that God has about you outnumber the grains of sand in the world. If you were not important and if you were not created for significance, why would God give you one thought, let alone thoughts about you that surpass the numbers of sand on every beach that you've ever walked on or ever seen? How great must it be that God thinks of us in such a way that his thoughts are constantly about us. Having known that, God created us to live an amazing life with him. He is generous. He's good. He gives good and perfect gifts. And he created this world. And when he did so, he made a statement at the, each, at the end of each day that he created. He said, it is good. It is good. And after creating man, he said, it is very good. I don't think that God does things with mediocrity. God didn't create you and at the end of it go, well, that wasn't my best work. I believe that he's created each of us and that there's a nature about us that he looks at us and he recognizes I have placed within each of you amazing capacities. And I believe that he truly is pleased with what he has done. So what is God's purpose in creating us? that he would give so much of his thought to us. Number one, I believe it's because he wants us to be in close communion with him. It's important that we understand love is God's most definitive quality, and he doesn't just love. He is love. Love is his very essence, and if you remove love from God, he ceases to be God. John said that God is spirit, and God is light, and God is love, and we learn from Scripture that God created mankind in his image. So what does it mean when God created mankind in his image? It means that somehow at the very core of our being, God has created us to not only be in communion with his love, but to radiate his love, which is why when guests come in here, they say, I'm home. Why? Because the love of God compels them through you and the actions that you take. He goes on to say that we were created to do good works in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God knew exactly what needed to be done, and in knowing what needed to be done, created you and me at just the right time, in just the right way, so that we could fulfill the needs that he had. We were created with a purpose, and it's not an accident that you were born in this day and this age. Now, my wife always tells me I should have been born in the old days of cowboys because I like the outdoors, and I said, no, 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 this is my day. God created us for just such a time as this. And so every one of you that are here, God had a purpose to create you for just such this moment because he had in advance a plan for you. Having a purpose 
gives people life and energy. And if you take away somebody's purposes, all they have left is hopelessness and futility. So living with a purpose is a fundamental element of God's original design. The true significance of life for human beings created in the image of God with precious value that he thinks about all the time is this. We know that we've been created to know God, to love God, and to show God. The more we love God, the more that we know him, the more that we love him, the more we will show that to everybody around us. In other words, life is about God. We've been created for his purposes, and everything that we do must magnify the greatness of God to our community. And then he says, the joy that you have in life, the happiness that you have in life, the pleasures that you have in life, are all need to be tied to the relationship that we have in doing his will. And so there is no tension between finding our significance and making much of God and being as happy as we can be. So when we live our life and say, I just want to live a life that is happy, that, there's, there's no tension between serving God and being happy. In fact, this is one of the greatest discoveries of our life, that God's purpose to be glorified in my life and my passion to be satisfied are not at odds with each other. They come together in finding my satisfaction in God. In fact, I use this little phrase, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. He gets the glory, I get the joy. That's a great deal. It's a great deal. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says this. In God's presence is the fullness of joy. And then it states, at his right hand are pleasures forever. In fact, the way that it was originally written, it would be, at his right hand are pleasures forever, forever. It would be repeated so that we can understand that pleasure and the presence of God are things that come together. We live in a world where people oftentimes tell you, if I live for God, it means I'm going to be unhappy. If I live for God, it means that I can't pursue my own happiness. And the scripture clearly indicates to us that our greatest happiness the greatest pleasures of life is when we are walking in the will of God. And so it destroys the argument of those that don't know God because we live a life that the more we glorify him, the more happy and pleasurable our life is. It's tied to his presence. And so as we live this out, God gets the glory, I get the joy, and Syracuse gets loved as we live it out before God. If you seek happiness outside of God, you will discover at the end of your life that you will have wasted it. That all of the pleasures that you pursued, everything that you imagined would be great, will have nothing whatsoever lasting, and you will have wasted your life. And so during a glorious future campaign, what is going to happen is there are going to be moments when you will be strongly tempted to shrink back in fear. And if you allow that to be your guiding thought, then you will never reach the potential that God has made you for, and others will lose their opportunity to experience a deeper level of joy than they ever have before. So God is encouraging you to step over your fear into his glorious joy and watch where he leads you. God wants you to live a life of significance because he has created you to do so. He's also created you to be connected to a significant church. There's a momentum that comes as we 
are a part of something that is growing, that we recognize the spirit of God in, that we, we begin to join and build friendships with, and we begin to understand that God has brought people into our life that enhance our life, and, and that's the purpose of the church. And when we are connected to that in a significant way, it brings great joy to our life, and that's part of God's will for us. But also, and secondly, God wants to use you to do something significant. There was a person that's in the Bible who struggled with the idea that he was significant, and that is Gideon. The Bible tells us that as far as looking at Gideon, that there was no visible potential in him whatsoever, yet he became a bona fide world changer. In fact, his name is listed in Hebrews 11, which is like the Faith Hall of Fame. Even though he had a weak beginning, He made it into this exclusive list of courageous men and women because he understood that when God saw something in him he didn't see, God could be trusted more than his own self-awareness. So we look at a guy like Gideon, and I, I honestly believe that Gideon gives hope to us ordinary people. In fact, as we get into this, Gideon was a short guy too. Gideon, Zacchaeus, Doug DeMint. You know, there's just some, some, some things about them that, that I think are just really positive. And for any of you that may be slightly shorter than average, this is hopeful for you as well. God chooses the ordinary so that he can do the extraordinary. Now, we're not sure how he made it to this point, but we know that Gideon had been able to somehow grow a crop of of wheat that hadn't been destroyed or taken by the Midianites and it got to the point where he was about to harvest it and and so he takes it and while he's hiding from an enemy that was stealing everything from them he goes and rather than threshing it on on the floor like it was supposed to be he gets into a wine press which was literally a pit in the ground and while he's hiding here pulling out the little seeds from the wheat so that he can have something to eat we get to Judges chapter 6 verse 11 and it says this And the angel of the Lord came and sat under an oak tree. I just love it when angels relax. And it said that this tree belonged to Gideon's father. And Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the angel of the Lord's voice sounds like, but just that thought that he's hiding in a hole and the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I've tried to picture this in my mind. He's doing his best not to be seen. He's hiding, and suddenly he hears these words, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I I would imagine that he probably gulped and had shots of adrenaline that's pulsing through his veins because he didn't want to be seen and he didn't want to be caught. And so he freezes, and this voice seems to come out of nowhere. And Gideon couldn't see who had spoken it because he is shorter than the hole that he is in. And so... Being that he wasn't tall enough to sing out, he, he, he manages to make his way over and he stands up high enough and he peers over the top and all you can see of Gideon is his eyes and maybe his nose and the angel that's sitting under the oak tree. And he peers over the edge and the angel smiles at him and says, hey, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And Gideon looks around and he goes, I, I, don't, I don't think so. And he says, if God is with me, then why am I hiding in this hole in the ground? And why are the Midianites taking all our food? And why has God left us? And the angel told him, the Lord is sending you to save all of Israel from the Midianites. And again, Gideon looks at him and says, I don't think so. I, I, don't, think it, I don't think he is. I, I, yeah. And he laughed. And he says, how, how can I save Israel? My family is the smallest in my tribe, and I am the shortest in my family. I'm not high on the list of leadership potential. 
that could be used for this job. But if we take a look back at something that took place here, there's this, this wonderful thing that happens. And I believe it's important for each of us to recognize this. There are moments in each of our lives when God sees something in us that we don't see in ourselves. We have this inferiority complex as it relates to what we can do of God and, and we're really good at looking around and we call it delegation, making other people do the stuff sometimes that we ought to be doing. And God looks at you and just like he did Gideon, he calls you a name that you said, I don't recognize that in me. Hey, you mighty warrior. And you're going, who, who me? Mighty, mighty warrior. And he goes on to tell Gideon that you're going to go in the strength that you have. In other words, God had placed something in Gideon when he was created that he didn't even know was there. But at the moment's notice, the Holy Spirit was going to activate that in him. And by courage, he was going to stand up and become who God had created him to be to do something significant when he didn't think he had it in him. And he says, I am sending you. And so instead of defending himself and, and, and going through all of the reasons why he couldn't, he came to a moment in time where he simply believed and he trusted what God said about him. And I want you to know that that is true of you today and it's true of us as a church. God's word is moving us from this place to a new place of freedom. We can sit here and look at this and say, this is as good as it gets. And I've had people ask me, why do we always have to get bigger and better? And I'm saying, it's not about us. It's about those whose chairs are empty this morning that will never be able to come here because they can't find a parking spot. On Wednesday evenings, we've got girls and boys ministry and youth ministry that literally are pouring out into the hallways because there's no room left. And we can either say, that's enough, God. We just don't care enough about those that are unsaved. And we will cap it where we are. Or we will say, okay, Lord, call something out of us that you placed there that we didn't even know was there so that we can walk in significance for what you want us to be. God feels that way about you. And he wants to use you to do something significant even if you don't see it in yourself because he's put greatness in you and there are circumstances of our life that when we get to them, he says, now's the time I'm going to call it out of you. You see, Gideon was always a mighty warrior. God just needed a circumstance to arise where he could cultivate it in him. You see, he was a mighty warrior created to do something significant because God ordained him to be that before he was born. When it says all the days were written before any came to be, God wrote something into your DNA and into your spiritual nature that today during a glorious future, he's going to begin to call out and say, it was for such a time as this. For this moment and we look at it and say why because you and I have been called to be part of grace assembly for just this moment and I believe that this congregation is destined to be significantly used by God to influence our city and you want to know why because God has already prepared it to be done He's just waiting for us to walk in obedience so that he can begin to knock down barriers and our influence will continue to grow and heaven will grow because of the influence of what God is going to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13 says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. 
The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except God, except man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Here's how I want to encourage you. God's dreams, when he created you for significance, will only be unlocked through your prayer to have him fulfill it. You play a role in this. But as you begin to actively seek and pray, God, what is it that you have put in me that you are getting ready to call out? What happens is that through your prayer and through your seeking of him, he begins to open up a direct access to the reservoir of his divine provision that you didn't even know was there until you begin to pray and ask, God, bring something significant through me. The only thing that limits God is your cooperation with him in the process that he wants to lead you in. I can tell you right now that there will come a time in the next five weeks when you will have to answer this question because as you begin to pray, this is, pray, this is where God's going to lead you. Am I really trying to discern God's will or am I trying to determine whether I really want to do what he's asking me? You're going to have to answer that. And the way that you answer that question will have a direct impact upon this project. It will have a direct impact upon the number of people we will be allowed to reach and upon your future joy and your future eternal reward. A direct impact on that. So in conclusion, let me tell you a little bit about the story and the journey God has taken me on these past few months. We have a slogan at our church that says we're a community of hope welcoming people home. I was seeking God for confirmation of this, and as many of you know the story, we were looking at every possible way to expand our influence without having to go into a building program, and we looked at a lot of different things. And as I was seeking the Lord in word and prayer one day, asking for confirmation, I came across the 54th chapter of Isaiah, and the heading over the chapter states this, the future glory of Zion. In other words, God was declaring that he is giving his church a glorious future. And then I read in Isaiah 54, verses 2 through 3, and I'm, I'm reading this to you from the New Living Translation because I like the way that it words it. It says, enlarge your house. Build an addition. Spread out your home. Spare no expense. For you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations. Does that not sound like God is going to raise up ministries and ministers that will go from this and change the world? And resettle ruined cities. We are living in a nation where our inner cities are being ruined and they need a revival. Syracuse needs a revival. We are, we are in a place that some people consider hopeless and God is raising up a dynamic church full of his Holy Spirit to reach this city and resettle it in the power of Jesus' name. In verse 4, do not be afraid. This was for me. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. And when I read those words, I just felt 
tell them, I said, okay, God, okay. I'm way more like Gideon than I thought. It's not just a height thing. It's, a, it's an inward thing. So, Lord, if, if you're ready to call Grace Assembly to be a mighty warrior in our city, then I'll crawl out of the hole and I'll let you speak something into each of us that brings us to a place of significance. So church, the stakes are so high that God has placed us for such a time as this to do everything we can to reach the lost right here in the Syracuse area. And we are asking everyone to go before God and ask this question, God, what would my financial response be to a glorious future if my relationship to you was more important than anything else in this world? What would my financial response be to this? What would it be if I really believed that you could call something out of me that before I was created, you put within me and waited for this circumstance to call out of me for the significance of your name and your testimony through Grace Assembly? On November 11th, we're going to ask everybody that attends this church to make a bold, faith-filled, infused with God's presence, daring three-year financial commitment to reach the lost through a glorious future. And it's going to seem risky, but God does his best work when he's pulled us from the comfortable into the risky. So will you join me and this entire Grace family on November 11th by saying, Lord, I'm going to spend these weeks praying and seeking so that you can unlock the treasures of heaven through me to see what you want to do. And for those of you that are listening online, we understand that there are hundreds of people that call Grace Assembly home by listening online. I want you to know as you're listening to me that you are a part of this church too. And we want to give you the opportunity to go onto the website and find a way that you too can seed into what God is doing so that this ministry can continue to grow. I prayed with a young man recently who was here and I asked him, how did you get here? And he told me, I have listened to every Sunday sermon for the last two years before I ever walked into this building. And he says, it's been ministering to me. And so our church is way, way beyond just what we see here. Way beyond. God is sowing the seeds everywhere. But we get to be a part of this. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning. And I want to conclude this service by doing this. Our worship team is about to sing a song about how God can do the impossible. And I'm not asking that you make a financial commitment today. In fact, don't even start to think about what you're going to give because God hasn't called it out of you yet. I just want you to start to pray. But if you're willing to let God speak into you and call out of you things that he has put into you so that you could be significant at this moment, I'm going to ask that you would just step into the aisle or come and stand at the front, and we're going to sing this song of victory in God because it's not us, it's him we're celebrating. 